Coming up this evening on NTD Business. The food prices expected to go even higher this year. That's for many kitchen staples and for eating out. We have the numbers. A new report sheds light on global demand for microchips. When are shortages going to ease? Germany preparing for an energy emergency in case Russia stops oil and gas deliveries. One German official telling people to wear warmer sweaters. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. I wish I had good news for your wallet, but I don't. Food prices expected to keep going up. The USDA released its food price outlook for 2022, and it ain't pretty. It says the cost of many kitchen staples will rise. Dairy products expected to increase between 4 and 5% by the end of the year. Poultry could cost 6 to 7% more. And prices for cereals, baked goods, and sweets could go up to 3 to 4%. If you're thinking eating out could save you some money, think again. The USDA predicts prices at your favorite restaurant will increase anywhere from 55 to 6.5%. But the world's top computer chip maker gave a glimmer of hope on the global chip shortage, kind of. The shortage is already keeping products off the shelf and pushing the price of others up. But TSMC says demand for certain types of chips is slowing down a little. Anthony's Don Ma reports. The world's biggest contract chip maker, TSMC, says chip demand for certain products is showing signs of slowing down. TSMC told Nikkei Asia the slowdown is in devices like smartphones, personal computers and TVs. That's especially true in China amid a surge in virus cases and pandemic restrictions. China holds half of the global chip market. Demand in products like PCs, smartphones and TVs have been affected. Senior equity analyst Dan Ives says in general, the demand for chips is still strong. Overall demand is pretty robust. There's pockets that you're seeing isolated weakness, but overall the trend continues to be higher. Demand's outstripping supply by about 30 percent globally. If demand is outstripping supply, what does that mean for product prices and consumers? Yeah, average price is going to go about 2 to 3% across autos and across electronics as we go through the summer time frame. Yeah, this is going to clearly get past the consumers. So how long will the chip shortage last? I think we start to normalize to pre-pandemic levels probably by latter 2022. I think that's where we start to normalize into the first half 23. I've says an important factor impacting the chip shortage is COVID issues in Asia. That's because a lot of supplies come from there. Don Ma, NTD News. To get around those production problems in Asia, Congress is working on a bill that would boost American chip production. It's part of the Competes Act. It's a major bill that lawmakers say would help America compete with China. Passed the Senate this week, now it's heading back to the House for revision before going to the president's desk. The multi-billion dollar bill was initially designed to support the U.S. tech industry, especially the semiconductor sector. Supporters of the bill say it'll promote American innovation in areas like 5G and artificial intelligence, creating jobs and lowering costs for Americans. But some lawmakers say it's not tough enough on China, and also includes items not related to China, like funding for climate projects and labor unions. 
So with this is our ear on the ground in D.C., NTD's Washington correspondent, Melina Wisecup. Melina, good to see you. Good to see you too, Paul. Melina, this passed with bipartisan support in the Senate. I thought it was supposed to be controversial. Well, it's important to remember that it didn't pass with overwhelming bipartisan support. There were less than 20 Republican senators who voted yes for this, and there was even much more Republican opposition in the House. And that's because some Republicans say that this bill does contain some progressive items that aren't directly related to competing with China. So there's funding for green energy projects and even some funding for social welfare programs like helping Americans with child care costs. And so some Republicans are also concerned about the implications it could have for um, investing more in China. So, for example, the chairman of the China task force, Congressman Michael McCall, says, um, I'll just read you the quote. It could send U.S. taxpayer money to fund green energy projects built on Chinese Communist Party's genocide against its own people. Now, what McCall is likely referring to with that is the slave labor, because there have been reports that producing products like solar panels have been produced through slave labor. So that's likely what he's referring to there. So this is not going to help the U.S. compete with China? Well, I mean, it depends on which side of the political fence that you stand on. It's supposed to help produce more semiconductor chips. So we know there's been a shortage here in the U.S. with that. And so that's what the Biden administration and Democrats on Capitol Hill are saying, that it will help us be more independent in regards to those. But it also invests in innovation and technology. So uh, some argue, the people who support this bill argue that it will also help us be more innovative as far as technology goes. But what's interesting about this is that the bill doesn't take any extra measures to protect that newly developed intellectual property from being stolen from Chinese Communist Party spies. And we know that's been an issue. And as a matter of fact, the Department of Justice just ended up um, an event like a uh, ended something that was geared towards kind of cracking down on those Chinese Communist Party spies. Um, And also, it's kind of interesting to keep in mind that this bill does call to crack down on China's human rights abuses um, of Uyghurs, but it also calls for increased cooperation with China to fight climate change. Right. It looks like it's going to become law, right? Well, uh, maybe after a few changes. So right now, the process is that it's in this, um, it passed the Senate, a measure passed the Senate, not technically the bill, but a measure passed the Senate to go to the House. So what will happen now is that the House and the Senate will come together reconcile the differences and come up with a final version to get to Biden's desk. And considering that we did see enough Republican support to pass this measure, that does indicate that it's very likely to get to Biden's desk. And in a word, Melina, are we seeing more talk or more airtime around concerns about domestic production since the war began? Well, in a way, yes, but they're mostly they're mostly when it comes to U.S. production, they're mainly focused on oil. When it comes to the war, most of Congress is wrapped up in trying to get more aid to Ukraine to help them fight the war. The only talk I've heard of production um, increasing U.S. production is revolving around oil, but not necessarily like um, any other initiatives to support our manufacturing gear. Melina Wisecup in D.C. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. One thing that may be holding back American domestic manufacturing is a strong American dollar. Yeah, you heard me, a strong U.S. dollar. Now, it's not strong against the things you're buying at the store, that's for sure. But believe it or not, it is getting stronger against most of the world's major currencies like the euro, the Japanese yen, or the U.K. pound. 
The dollar is 5% stronger than this time last year, according to the DXY index. And countries like China keep their currency artificially low, so their exports are relatively cheaper. This allows them to win business against other countries with stronger currencies. It's also attractive for businesses because wages and other local costs are relatively cheaper in a country with a weak currency. Some economists say the dollar's position as the world's reserve currency has ensured its strength, but that strength has cost U.S. domestic manufacturing. As senior analyst at FX Street, Joseph Trevisani, why the dollar is rising so much, despite all the money printing we've seen. That's true. But on the other hand, you have the Fed, the most aggressive it's been in practically a generation as far as countering inflation. I mean, if specifically versus the Japanese yen, you have a much higher increase, much greater increase in U.S. Treasury rates than you do in Japanese JGB rates, the government bond rates. And that accounts for a lot of it. It almost parallels the move in the currency and in the Treasury rates. You think it's purely monetary policy rather than anything business-related or otherwise? Well, businesses, if you the U.S. economy has always been far more flexible. And certainly in the past generation, it's, it's had much greater growth rates than Japan. That is something which is still expected across the board versus Europe and versus Japan. So that's part of it. As the economy grows, it's expected that it will grow faster here. So you combine the two, and you have a pretty strong um, ascent for the U.S. dollar. You think the calls for the death of the dollar, the end of the dollar, a little overflated? The end of the dollar has been overstated. I suppose we could quote the old Mark Twain, it's been uh, reported but not true. You're going to get the same thing now. Every time there is a international situation where the dollar is favored, it you often get people saying, well, maybe we'll move to the euro, maybe we'll move to the yuan, maybe we'll move to the ruble. None of that has happened. The reasons for the yuan and the ruble not being uh, adopted are because the governments there are not very open, so you don't know where your money is going to be. The reason for the euro is a little different because they have much shallower local bond markets and the treasury market still dominates. But I don't think we're going to get away from the dollar just yet. What does a strong dollar mean for the inflation outlook here in the States? Well, it helps with the inflation a bit because when you have to buy overseas products, be they uh, manufactured products or raw materials, the dollar buys more of them. But the problem is that the U.S. inflation rate is not being driven from overseas. It's largely being driven domestically. And for that, the dollar doesn't really have much to say. In what way? Can you expand on that? Well, because if, if inflation rates are going up here, say they're being driven by wage increases, that's one side of it, the other side are commercial products that are more, much, much higher. Those things don't change because the dollar is a, in an ascent against foreign currencies. That doesn't really help very much locally. That's the main reason. The amount of inflation that has come from sourcing uh, resources overseas, raw materials, is small compared to the domestic inflation factor from simply having too much money running around the country. Mm -hmm. Very good. Joseph Trevisani, FX Street. Appreciate it. Thank you. A strong dollar may help with inflation, but you'll know from your trips to the store, it's not helping enough. 
Landlords and property management companies are paying more for things now, too. Is that why your rent's gone up so much? Denise Phil Zoe has more. Sometimes you just can't find uh, what you need out there. Property manager Steve Shaw oversees 70 properties in the Chicago area. He says it's very difficult to find people to do any work. The cost of labor has increased so much, it seems like people just aren't motivated to, to work as hard. Shah says one worker who's been with him for 30 years is charging double for labor, but doing only a fraction of the work that he used to. I do some smaller scale construction projects for myself and uh, the costs have more than doubled. So when you look at it at the end, you question whether you're going to make any profit at all. Rents are up 17% in the last year, while home prices are up nearly 20%. We might have a showing within 30 minutes of putting it on the MLS system, and we may have multiple applications within two hours. I spoke with property managers Randy and Melissa Stanley out in Houston, Texas. Appliances are the most difficult things to get right now. We're talking about washers, dryers, refrigerators to supply our rental units. Out of the housing frenzy, Stanley has noticed at least one benefit for landlords and property managers. Because there is so much uh, competition, we're able to get a good tenant with a good qualifications in a very short period of time. Phil Zoe, NTD News. And talking of shortages, the world's biggest money manager says for the first time, this generation is going to go into a store and not be able to get what they want. BlackRock's president said we have a very entitled generation that has never had to sacrifice. He says Americans should buckle up because the reckoning coming to the economy is something we've never seen. He's dubbing it scarcity inflation, mainly due to a shortage of workers, supplies and housing. Over in Europe, amid soaring energy costs, a German official told his people to wear warmer sweaters. Energy costs there could apparently quadruple if Russia stops sending energy. It's threatening to do it. And the Dieswey Quarter has more. Germany is preparing for Russia to cut off its energy. This is because Russia wants Germany to pay for its energy in rubles. And Germany is refusing to pay for Russian energy in rubles. Russia is desperate. Their currency, the ruble, has been in free fall really since the start of the Ukraine war and Europe's massive sanctions hit them to the point where it's lost well over half of its value. Nicholas Creel is a business professor at Georgia College and State University. Creel says Russia wants to get the ruble's value back up. Germany would have to go find a way to purchase rubles and then give that to the companies that they're selling, getting gas from. Functionally, what this means is the demand for rubles would go up with the supply staying the same. That means the value of it would have to increase. And Germany won't do it because that would undermine contracts. So now it's implementing its emergency plan. We are in a situation where I have to say that every kilowatt hour saved helps. That's why I would like to declare an early warning stage with an appeal to companies and private consumers to help us. Ukraine, Germany, by saving gas and energy altogether. Recent data shows that 62% of Germany's energy comes from gas and oil. Germany gets half its gas and a third of its oil from Russia. 
On Germany's government website, its emergency plan seems to mainly involve asking shippers to increase shipments and consumers to consume less. I don't think there is an emergency plan. They're trying to figure it out as they go. They've been living in dreamland. They don't have they don't have an alternative. Brent Bennett is the policy director for Life Powered at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Bennett says it would be devastating if Germany stopped receiving Russian energy and that energy prices could quadruple. But Bennett believes Russia's bluffing. You know, Russia doesn't have uh, there are there the demand for Russian oil and gas has already declined dramatically, and their gas is being sold at a huge discount. So, um, as long as Russia doesn't have other buyers then Russia doesn't have anywhere else to go. Meanwhile, Germany had the second highest electricity prices in the world just last June. Faye Porter, NTD News. But a new report suggests, quote, clean energy generated 38% of the world's electricity in 2021. Although the report didn't really clarify what exactly clean energy referred to, but it said that 38% of that, a record 10%, came from wind and solar. So a climate think tank called Ember. Ember says that 50 countries were creating over 10% of their energy with wind and solar. The most growth was happening in the Netherlands, Australia, and Vietnam. Denmark generated the most with 52% of its energy coming from wind and solar. Down on Wall Street today, U.S. stocks fell with the Dow and S&P snapping four-session winning streaks. The Dow fell 65 points, two-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 lost 29 points, six-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 177 points, one and two-tenths of a percent. And Waymo is offering driverless rides to employees in San Francisco and expanding in Phoenix. What's the goal? Some McDonald's in Russia are still open, despite the company saying it's exiting Russia. What are the customers saying? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Google's sister company Waymo said today it started offering driverless rides to employees in San Francisco. It's racing against General Motors-backed rival Cruise to commercialize the technology in San Francisco. Waymo also introduced autonomous rides to employees in downtown Phoenix. There were safety drivers behind the wheel, though. The goal is to open it up to public testing. In August, Waymo started giving autonomous rides free of charge in San Francisco with safety drivers on board. The company didn't say when or whether it plans to charge customers for rides there, has applied for a permit to do so. Cruise is aiming this year to offer a middle-of-the-night paid driverless offering in San Francisco. An Airbus says its A380 jet has completed two trial flights powered by cooking oil. Flights took place in France. The test plane finished a three-hour flight on Friday. The Super Jumbo Jet had a second test flight yesterday. It was powered by Sustainable Aviation Fuel, or SAF, made predominantly of used cooking oil and waste fats. 
Airbus has already tested SAF on an A350 and an A319, hopes to get the aircraft certified to fly an SAF by the end of the decade. Airbus planes can currently be powered by up to 50% SAF blended with traditional kerosene. Fuels already being used in limited amounts by some airlines. SAF claims carbon neutrality because the CO2 that's absorbed while the organic ingredients are being grown. But it is expensive, so the alternative fuel probably won't be widely used anytime soon. Here's something to discuss at your next wine and cheese party. Wayward Spirit, a California company, is turning cheese byproducts into alcohol. Whey is the liquid that comes from curdled milk and strained milk. U.S. cheesemakers produced 100 billion pounds of whey in 2020. Wayward ferments the whey so that it can be used as a drink. Ben & Jerry's joined forces with the distiller and is now using Wayward Whey in its Dublin Mudslide ice cream. Wayward officials say they've so far processed half a million pounds of whey that otherwise would have been wasted. And some American businesses are protesting the invasion of Ukraine by closing shop in Russia. But it's proven to be easier said than done. Some McDonald's franchise operations have remained open. And Deshaun Marshall has more. Russians can still enjoy McDonald's in some franchise outlets, despite the fast food chain recently announcing it had temporarily closed 850 locations. According to Russian media, over 100 restaurants are still open as some franchise owners have refused to stop serving customers. Some of the restaurants are located in train stations and airports. It's business as usual at McDonald's in Moscow's Leningradsky train station. Nothing has changed for us. We are a franchise organization. We work the same as before. We are going to work tomorrow. McDonald's has yet to explain why these locations remain open after their public announcement on March 8th that they would close all 850 locations in protest of the invasion of Ukraine. Many customers are happy to still be able to get their favorite classics. We love McDonald's very much. It's our favorite food establishment. We came here because it's open. The flavors changed a little bit, but they saved the main ones, the burgers and fries I used to eat when I was a child. McDonald's isn't the only fast food chain that has been getting heat for still having their restaurants open in Russia. Burger King, Subway, and KFC also discontinued corporate operations, but their franchise-owned locations still remain open. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And one Russian in Serbia has opened his hotel up to Ukrainian refugees. He says he wants to help those fleeing the war. Lisa Bernhardt reports. Russian hotel owner Mikhail Golubsov says it was partly shame that prompted him to turn his cozy country in, nestled in the hills of central Serbia, into a refuge for Ukrainians fleeing Russia's invasion. At first, I was in shock and I was so ashamed. For some time, I could not speak Russian. But when guests arrived and they spoke Russian to me, I spoke Russian as well. I think the only thing I can do now is to help Ukrainians somehow. Many Ukrainian families have been torn apart, with most men aged 18 to 60 banned from leaving Ukraine as they may be called to fight in a war that since its start one month ago has killed thousands of civilians. Ukrainian English teacher and mother of three, Olga Manmar, is one of the so far 34 refugees who have found a safe haven at the hotel, having entered Serbia via Romania. And I don't know how this magic works. You cross the border, you know, it's the same planet, but crossing the border you feel safe. And it's, it's mad feeling, you know, 
it's the same, you know, same air, same ground. You look around, but you cross the border and you feel safe. But you feel so sorry about those who haven't crossed the border. That was very painful. The men cannot, you know, cross the border, so they would drive, and then. Manmore traveled with her friend Anna Nisogorodova, a Russian married to a Ukrainian who had been living in Kyiv for the past 15 years. Nitsagorodova, whose two children are also with her, said she felt nothing when she arrived. In your mind, you understand that everything around you is very beautiful and very quiet, but you do not feel beauty, nothing. You simply want to cover yourself with a blanket for some time. I think we have all felt that because my children, it was like that. They lay down, wrapped themselves in blankets, looked at their phones and did not want to go anywhere. The United Nations says 3.8 million Ukrainians have fled since the war began, most of them to Poland and Romania. Only around 2,500 have come to Serbia so far, mostly as a stopover on their journey to Western Europe. Hotel owner Golubsov, who left Russia in 2014 over what he called Moscow's unacceptable annexation of Crimea, says Ukrainian refugees can stay at his serene spot for as long as they need, free of charge. Incredible. That's the latest from the Entity Business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can still catch Entity Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. Entity Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.